Well, good morning again, church family. I, uh, I'm Pastor Eric. I'm the children's pastor, if you didn't figure that out from the last time uh, I was out here. And it is my joy to be able to be here to preach uh, this morning. Uh, if you are new here visiting, you might not know, but our senior pastor, Pastor Brian, this is his, he started his sabbatical last week. Um, and so I'm here to fill in and we are praying that he has a restful time, a blessed time. Um, he has, he has, he deserves um, a restful sabbatical. Um, and so we're glad that he has that opportunity. And I'm glad that I have this opportunity to preach. And uh, I thought as a children's pastor, it would be fitting that we look at a passage that involves kids because, well, kids, you're awesome. All right, kids out there, would you agree? Would you agree you're pretty cool? I think so. I think so. You know, I I think children reveal and they, they teach us so much. In fact, I heard one comedian, Jim Gaffigan, he put it well. He said, you know, I have kids... And, and my children really helped me understand how much I know or don't know. He said, one day, I was with my child, and we are watching TV, and this is back when there were antennas, and he said, look, Dad, two sticks. And Jim Gaffigan said, oh, those aren't sticks, son. Those are antennas. My son said, well, what's an antenna? Two sticks. You nailed it, boy. <clears throat> yep. You know, kids ask really good questions. So I want to let you know, kids out there, are all those kids out there? You keep asking good questions, okay? You don't stop asking questions, all right? You're always, you know, helping us learn as adults too. And, uh, you know, children are always teaching us. And as a children's pastor, I have this great blessing and a great privilege of seeing how children can teach us. One of the things that I love on Sunday mornings is the kids, when we're over on the other side of the street, when we're having our time of children's worship, uh, the kids were singing and we're praying. And one morning in particular, we, we were going to focus on giving thanks to Jesus. And so during our prayer time, I said, all right, boys and girls, I want you to, to just stand up and go ahead and say what you're thankful for. And so we're praying, and then the time came when the kids could say what they're thankful for. And, and they were sharing so many wonderful things. They were saying, thank you, Jesus, for my family. Thank you for my mommy. Thank you for my daddy. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my cat. Thank you for my dog. Thank you for my goldfish. Thank you for my scooter. Thank you for my shoes. Thank you for my house. And you know, they, the list just kept going on and on, and I'm listening, and I start to chuckle to myself, and I say, oh, how sweet. And then I realize something. Wait a second. Why isn't my heart as grateful for everything as, as much as the children's hearts are so thankful for everything that they have? Little moments like that reveal that children have a lot of things that they can teach us. And we're going to be looking at a passage today in Matthew where kids teach us something very important. So, Kids, this is what I need from you this morning. If you're here, I need you to look to the person next to you, maybe your parent, and you say, listen closely, because I've got something to teach you. Go ahead, tell your parents, tell your people around you, okay? Kids, you've got something to teach us this morning. If you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. And you can follow along. 
And this is what it says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Will you join me as we pray and pray? Father, we come to you this morning. We have hearts full of joy. We are thankful for what you have done. We have we've taken communion. We have celebrated um, and recognized your, your deep love for us. And now we come to you and we, we look into your word and we are asking, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us, that you will challenge us, that you will change us, you will convict us, you will encourage us where we need it and allow us to understand what we need to know, what we need to do, and what children have to teach us here this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this might be a familiar passage to some. Maybe it's new. But in this passage, it starts off with a big question. The disciples are walking, the disciples are talking, and they ask this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Real quick question, real quick survey. Have any of you ever looked around and wondered, who's the greatest here? Maybe it, maybe it wasn't here, but maybe it was at work. Maybe it was like you're out on the golf course. Maybe you're with friends. I don't know, but have you ever said that to yourself? Can we be honest here? Like you look around, I wonder, who's the greatest here? You're like, it's really not a question. It's me, right? So the disciples ask this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Well, before we can really dive, delve into that, we have to understand the context where we're at because in verse 18, it starts off, he says, at that time. So it's, it's linking it back to something. Something had just happened. In chapter 17, a, a few big things happen. We, we have the transfiguration. We have uh, Peter, James, and John going up on the mountain with Jesus. And they witness Jesus in all of his glory and the transfiguration. And they witness something great. And they come back down. And then Jesus is telling them and explaining to them more about the kingdom of God and what it's like. And he also reveals to them that, hey, the time is coming soon where I am going to die, where people are going to take my life. And he talks more about what the kingdom of God is like and that he is the true king. All throughout the ministry, Jesus is constantly teaching about the kingdom of God and what it's like. In Matthew, earlier in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, you have the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus telling everybody, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and this is how we can see it and taste it and experience it on earth. And so Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven for his whole ministry, and the disciples are recognizing something. They're recognizing, I think we're getting close. I think it's almost here. Peter, James, and John, they just witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus is explaining that, that his life is going to be taken soon, and they have no idea what that really means. They're confused. And Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom. So 
the discussion comes up among the disciples, and they ask the question, so Jesus, we're just kind of curious, you know, who is the greatest in the kingdom? I mean, not, not that it matters at all, but who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, of course, every question actually reveals a lot more than a simple question. A lot of times, questions reveal hearts and motives. For example, um, if somebody ever asks me, hey, Eric, are you busy? I know that that is filled with a motive of someone who would like to make me busy, okay? Um, You know, people will ask you questions like, you know, the boys will, the children will ask, hey, mommy and daddy, you know, can, uh, can, what, what, are you using your phone? Well, I think I know what that, the motivation behind that question is. No, I'm not, which you can clearly see. Would you like to use the phone, right? You know, so every question reveals a heart. It reveals motives. And so the question, the the disciples ask this question to Jesus, and it's not just a theoretical question. No, Jesus sees right through it, and we get a glimpse into the hearts and the desires and the motives of the disciples. And I think what we're going to see is that our hearts, our desires, our motives might not be too far off from where the disciples were. So they ask this question, and Jesus has to dive in and help them understand where their hearts really were and where their hearts needed to be. So the disciples are having this discussion, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who's the most prominent? Who's the most important? Who's Who's going to be the most powerful in the kingdom of God? And Jesus chooses to use an illustration. We all love illustrations, right? I mean, we like seeing cake and presents and things, you know, until the illustration reveals something about us that we don't like, right? And so they're wondering who's the most important person, and Jesus looks through the crowd that's with him, and and he brings forth a small child. And he sits the child right in front of everyone, and he says, you want to know who's the most important person in the kingdom of heaven? It's the person who becomes like this small child. Now, we might not fully understand the implications of that, but as one one scholar wrote, they said, what you never find in Jewish literature are children put forward as models for adults. Comparison with children was highly insulting. I mean, adults, we kind of understand this today, right? We love children in our culture, yet at the same time, when's the last time someone called you a child and meant it as a compliment? It happens to me a lot, okay? So the idea is comparing ourselves to children was not a compliment. It was not something that they were anticipating that they were expecting. That Certainly, a child wouldn't be the greatest in the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, so listen, if you want to be the greatest, you need to, and he says, turn and become like this child. Because the children are the ones who are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so this idea of turning is, so you are walking down a path, you are pursuing something, in your mind you think you're going in the right direction, and he's saying you need to stop, 
And you got to do a 180 and turn around and go the other way. And you need to become like a child. And that's what we are going to talk about this morning. Is what it, does it mean to become a child in the kingdom of heaven? Of course, we have to unpack this. Because Jesus says, become as a child, but what he's not saying is to become childish. All right? And I want to be very clear that there is a difference between childish faith and childlike faith. All right? There's a big difference between behaving childishly and having childlike faith. And we're going to unpack that. Because Jesus wasn't saying, hey, It's okay, I want, I want my followers to be naive simpletons. Okay, that's not what he is asking. That's not what he is saying, all right? He is saying that there is an attitude, there's a behavior innate in children that we need to model. And he was using a child because it was in stark contrast with the behavior of the disciples and how they were acting. You see, the disciples were actually demonstrating a more childish faith than the child himself. And so what we see is this contrast of a childish faith and a childlike faith. And so the kingdom is not for those with a childish faith. So what is a childish faith? First off, a childish faith focuses on self promotion, okay? A childish faith focuses on self-promotion. If you look at this same story happening in the Gospel of Mark, we get a little more insight into what's happening. We get another picture into the behavior of the disciples. And what we realize is that they're actually arguing over petty little issues, okay? Not that any adults here ever argue over petty things, right? And in Mark 9.33, We see the same things happening. There's a transfiguration. Jesus foretells of his death and of his resurrection. But then it says, as they were walking, the disciples were arguing about something. And Jesus simply turns and he says, what were you talking about? And that's when the disciples say, well, we were wondering who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I have driven enough youth vans to know that when it gets quiet in the back, something bad is happening, right? Same goes like, I got to be honest, kids, I, you know, parents love peace and quiet, but we also get really nervous when the house gets quiet, you know, because we're like, something's going on. Someone's probably eating cake and they shouldn't be eating cake, right? And so, What's happening is they're going on this walk together. They're, they're, they're going on this journey, and Jesus notices that all of a sudden the disciples in the back are getting really quiet. And, they're, and he knows that they're talking about something, and he knows that they're up to something. And he says, so what have you guys been talking about? Let's bring it to the surface. And they have been bickering and arguing over who is the greatest, over petty issues. And the, the disciples had a childish faith because they were focused on self-promotion, on themselves, who was going to be the greatest. And what they began to do, instead of looking around, is they began to look to the left and to the right, and they began to compare themselves with other people. 
They began to say, well, you know, I've experienced this in our ministry with Jesus. Well, I heard him at this teaching. Oh, yeah, well, I got to do this. And they were comparing themselves. And whenever we start comparing ourselves, we begin to self-promote ourselves, and then we begin to display a childish faith. Let me give an embarrassing story for you. Um, we, uh, we had a family trip a couple weekends ago where we got to play some putt-putt. Kids, how many of you have ever played putt-putt? Do you like it? You're like, okay, I like putt-putt. However, there's this one time when putt-putt got the better of me. Cheryl and I, we were just married. We were hanging out with our friends. We were hanging out uh, with my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, and some other people. And what you need to know about me is sometimes I can be a little competitive. Now, putt-putt is supposed to be fun, right? Well, it is if you win. And so... I was playing this fun little game of putt-putt, and I just could not let my brother-in-law beat me. And let me tell you, those first three holes, I was smoking it, okay? I was doing awesome. I was, you know, it was like par for course, all right? That windmill had nothing on me. And then I fall behind, and it just got worse and worse. I mean, I was like two over par, three over par, and they weren't even giving me like any mulligans or anything, and I was getting angry. And eventually, here we are, putt-putt, and I know that there's no coming back. And I just take that, and I just whack it as hard as I can. It's like, do-do-do-do-do, all over. I'm glad I didn't hit anybody. So embarrassing. An adult man <laughs> groaning and crying and getting angry over putt-putt. Doesn't this sound ridiculous? It sounds ridiculous because it is ridiculous, okay? And here I was. Why did it happen? It's because I had to compare myself to my brother-in-law and to my other friends. I had to be the man that was going to be better at putt-putt. And I start putting myself and comparing myself to them. And then I get in this petty little fight with myself. And then it makes it really awkward for everyone else. Now they can all laugh <clears throat> at me. And so the idea, though, is when we start to compare ourselves with others, we begin to get in these petty little arguments. We begin to focus on things that don't really matter. And the disciples started to compare themselves with each other, and that led to self-promotion. Who was the greatest? Who was better among them? And they got in these petty arguments, all because they had a childish faith that was focused on self-promotion. Well, the other aspect was that their child is that childish faith is self-serving. Childish faith is self-serving. Instead of looking out and recognizing the ministry that Jesus had in the kingdom to the people, they were more focused on their position in the kingdom, and they weren't really focused on who they could serve, but rather what benefits it would be to them if they had promotions. I remember, you know, being in, uh, when I was in college, I worked in catering, and in catering, you literally serve people, like that's the job, and everyone wanted to be the lead caterer, right? Why did you want to be the lead caterer? Because if you were the lead caterer, you got to stay in the back and tell everyone else what to do. Now that's fun, okay? You know it's not fun? Serving 150 Grissini sticks with bacon on them, all right? Holding the, you know, glasses of, of wine for an hour. That's not fun. 
And so everyone was vying for this position of the lead caterer so that they didn't have to serve, but they could tell other people how to serve. And let me tell you, do you know who most people didn't want to be around? Do you know who most people didn't like? It was the lead, the lead caterer, all right? They were more focused on self, being self-serving than serving others. And the problem here was that the disciples weren't thinking about Jesus' ministry and how he was serving those in the kingdom of God. They were more focused on their position so that they could be ruling in the kingdom of God. Well, we need to be careful in our own lives. We can pursue better positions. We can pursue other things and lose sight that God has called us to serve others. Jesus was the ultimate example. And he said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And yet a childish faith is self-serving. And that's what the disciples were showing. And finally, so self-promotion, self-serving, childish faith is focused on self sufficiency. Let me tell you, the disciples thought they had it together. The disciples thought they were ready to take charge. I love the story later in Matthew chapter 20 when uh, the mother's request and the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something and she said, and he said to her, what do you want? She said, say to these two sons of mine, um, or say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And so you had this mother Again, making this selfish request on behalf of her, of her sons, kind of embarrassing, all right, and saying like, will you promote my sons? And Jesus says, you have no idea what you are asking for. You do not know the cup that I'm about to drink that you would have to bear to get what you are asking for. And yet the disciples, they had a childish faith because they thought they had it together. Now, with little children, we, we kind of say that's kind of cute. We laugh. We say, aw. In fact, a few, a few months ago, I believe Pastor Nick was preaching a sermon, and he shared a story about his son, Theo, and he's going through this phase. You know, as most parents know, a two-year-old goes through this phase of, I do, I do. You know what I'm talking about? Any parents out there? It's where your, your, your young toddler, your young, a young child is like, I do that, I do that. It's like... I'm sorry, no, you're not driving the car. You can't do that, right? And, and for young children, we, we chuckle and we laugh un, but until they actually try to do it. And then they become, they find themselves in a dangerous position. They find themselves in a place where they can get hurt because they think they can do it. They want to try to do it, but they can't do it. And the disciples had a childish faith because they were focusing on self-sufficiency. They thought that their accomplishments, that their efforts earned them the placement of power and ruling authority in the kingdom of God. Now, I'd like to say that those small toddlers grow out of that phase of I do, I do, but the truth of the matter is we don't. We don't. We often want desperately to be self-sufficient. We don't want to be dependent on anyone. We don't want to ask for help from anyone. 
We want to be able to do it. We're okay helping other people, but we don't want to ask for help from other people. Can I get an amen? Oh, come on. Can I get an amen? Amen. Nobody here loves saying, oh, I love it when I need help from other people. I love it when it's made known that I can't do this life by myself. No one is out there saying that out loud. We don't enjoy that. And yet, a childish faith focuses on self-sufficiency, on being completely independent. We become prideful. We think that we can handle it all. And we love to serve to show how independent we are. And Jesus is saying, that's a childish faith. So in contrast to the childish way that the disciples were behaving, Jesus modeled true greatness through the inherent attributes of a child. And he said, the greatest in the kingdom are those with a childlike faith. So what is it about children that we are to replicate? Now, we've got to be honest here. And kids, I need you to be honest. All right. Are you, are you, kids, are you perfect? Thank you for that. Okay. Very quick to respond, by the way. I, yeah. Kids, you, you know, we're not perfect, right? And a lot of times, we like to take certain attributes of children that we like, and we want to say, see, that's what we need to be. We need to be, we need to be innocent like these children. We need to be sweet like these children. But that's not what Jesus is going after. The attributes of a child that we are to replicate, that we are to model, are inherent, they're intrinsic in every child, whether it was 2,000 years ago or now. And the attributes, the qualities of a child that we need to replicate, that we need to model, are humility and dependence. Humility and dependence. You see, children then had very little esteem. They, they, they were not esteemed highly. They were very low on the totem pole. They couldn't help the family. They couldn't work in the family. So they were not regarded very highly. Children were better seen, to be seen and not, not heard, okay? And so at that time, children just, they did not have a great reputation, They couldn't do much. They were low on the totem pole. There was no option for a child to not be humble. They didn't have an option to not be humble because there was nothing they could do. I always remember, so I'm the youngest um, child in my family, all right? So any youngest siblings out there? Okay, all right. For all of you oldest siblings, I know what you're thinking, and we were not spoiled, okay? But I was the youngest. My brothers were, were significant. They were six and seven years older than me. And I remember always wanting to do the things that they were doing. They were in youth group before me. They went to college before me. And, and there's a couple things I remember. They played Little League before me. And when I was like five years old, I can remember going to the games and they were my brothers, right? They had their their uniforms on, their gloves. They were playing baseball and I was watching them. Oh, how desperately I wanted to be out there on the field. And so you know what I would do? I'd get my hat on, I'd get my glove. I'd throw it up in the air and I'd run and I'd drop it. But I was like, if I catch it, one of these days, someone's gonna see me 
and they're going to recognize my potential, and they're going to recruit me for that little league team, and I'm going to be on that team. And it didn't change. When they went to youth group, they would play volleyball with all the teens, and I'd sit on the sidelines, and I wasn't allowed to play, but you know what? Every now and again, I'd get a volleyball out, and I'd, you know, try to bump it up, and I'd mess up, but I was like, you know what? One of the day, these days, they're going to see my true potential. And then the reality struck. I can't play. I can't play in their league because I'm a child and they're not. And I accepted that, right? The reality, I can't play on my brother's little league team. One day I can, but not, not this day. You see, when I was a child, I recognized my status. I had to come to terms with my status, that I was a child, that I could not be on the team. And so a childlike faith recognizes its status. It recognizes who we are in God's kingdom. A humble faith, like a child, recognizes that it has nothing to bring to the table. A humble faith realizes that no accomplishments make it worthy of its calling. But rather, a humble faith, childlike faith, recognizes it can only do what it can do because of its Savior. We just took time taking communion together, and we, and we recognized and looked at what love Jesus showed us, that he loved us while we were still sinners. And it wasn't based on anything that we did to earn his grace, to earn his favor, but it was his love towards us. It's humility. It's recognizing our real position. So a childlike faith is humble. Children don't chase for the status quo like a lot of adults do. They recognize it. They recognize who they are. And second, a childlike faith is dependent on the father. Children have to depend on their parents. Now, this isn't always easy. I'm glad the kids are here because, kids, I have a question for you, all right? Is it easy for you to always ask for help? Mixed mix reviews, mixed reviews, okay. Yeah, no, sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. You know, this idea of becoming independent, this idea of you know, not having to depend on anyone is what we pursue. It's what we can't wait for, right? We can't wait to get out of the house. We can't wait to graduate high school. We can't wait to, you know, become our own boss. We can't wait until we are the bosses of our life. We can't wait to become independent. And yet it's the very thing about a child that we desperately want to get away from that Jesus is saying, this is what needs to be modeled in your life. This is what needs to be replicated, is the dependency on the Father. A child has no choice and, and needs help from their parents. It child needs the parent just like a Believe, as believers, as disciples, we need to be dependent on our Father. We don't like this. This is uncomfortable. We run away from it. And yet it's the very thing that we need to run towards. I often think about 
the little toddler who says, I do, I do. You know, I want to do it. I want to do it. And, and it's not as a father that we say, no, you, you can't help, you know, cook. You can't help do this. But the father needs to help the child so that they are safe. The, chi- the father wants to be, the parent wants to be there to help the child. They find joy in that. There's comfort in that. And yet in our hearts, we, we just want to run away from being dependent on our father. And we want to take control. We want to do it all by ourselves. And the most unfortunate thing about this principle, I think, is that it's the very people who need to hear this, the very people who are most independent, who are most self-sufficient, are the most likely to reject the quality of a childlike faith that depends on the Father. We want to hold it together. And we look at this the qualities of child, a childlike faith, that, that it is humble and that it is dependent on the Father. And when we look at it, we recognize that Jesus is the one who modeled this ultimately to the end. Jesus held the ultimate childlike faith, the kingdom faith, in that he humbled himself to the point of obedience to death on the cross. Jesus held the ultimate childlike faith, this kingdom faith, in that he entrusted his life and committed his life and became dependent on the Father. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, Father, not my will, but yours. He put his trust in the Father to the very end to exemplify and show us what our faith needs to look like. If Jesus exemplified it, we need to live it. Jesus' message is just as countercultural today as it was 2,000 years ago about pursuing a childlike faith and not a childish faith. So my question for us all today is, are you childish? Are there areas in your life right now where you are seeking self-promotion with those around you? You can't help but compare yourselves to the other people around you. Are you bickering over pointless things because of that? Are you humble in your faith? Do you recognize that it's by grace and mercy that we've been saved? Nothing in and of ourselves but the grace of God that has brought us to salvation. Consider this morning where your faith is. Consider the child that Jesus had before everyone. Is your faith childish or is it childlike? The disciples asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? The answer, the greatest are those with a humble, dependent, childlike faith in the Father. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that we can call you our Father. We thank you that you are with us, you are near to us, and you want us to run to you. You want us to come to you, not to run away from you, claiming our independence, but admitting our dependency on you, our need for you. I pray that you will help us to all see areas in our own lives where we are acting childish, self-seeking, self-centered, and change that childish faith 
into a childlike faith. Amen.